You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Good morning. So good to see you all. Welcome if you're tuning in digitally, if you have your Bibles, and I know that you do because you have a phone and there's a Bible on it. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We are going to start reading at verse 51 in just a moment. So Luke chapter 9. So we have been working on this theme of being missional all throughout the summer months. And um, Bruce said something last week that caught my attention. Uh, Maybe it did yours as well. And he made the statement, we are all missionaries, that we are all missionaries. It's going to look different for every believer and whether or not that means you're going into the world and that you are being sent to the nations. Uh, And this church has sent many people to the nations uh, for Christine and I, we were, uh, it was, <laughs> it cut both ways for us to have our son for five years uh, away from us, but uh, in the nations and traveling throughout the world. Or whether or not uh, being a missionary for you is the person next door. I think for the vast majority of us, when we think about being missional, uh, that's probably what comes to mind your colleagues at work, the fellow students that you rub shoulders with, the teammates on your basketball team or your slow pitch team, perhaps the people that you see at the gym, the mission field, wherever you go or wherever you hang out is going to be different for each one. Sometimes it's a planned event, like a uh, serve Saturday But often, the most missional moments that take place for us are in those relational moments that we have with people. So Luke chapter 9, there's really, I'm going to read 11 verses, but it's actually the first verse and the last verse that we want to drill down into. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 51. As the time approached for him, that would be Jesus, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And then he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you. 
Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Verse 62, the other verse of focus today. But Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Strong verses. Ones that get your attention. Let's dial in on verse 51 for a moment here. One version says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. A more modern translation says, the time was coming closer for Jesus to be taken into heaven. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. The Amplified Bible says this, he was determined to go to Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose. And finally, the King James, because the King James is poetic and the language is so good, it says this, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. I just love the wording of that. He was resolute. He was determined. He was steadfast. He was on mission to seek and save that which was lost. He was on his way to the cross. Now, keep in mind that when this was happening, when these verses uh, are being referred to, Jesus was at the height of his earthly popularity. There were huge crowds that were following him. One chapter earlier, um, his mother and brothers couldn't even get close to him because there were so many people who were always around him. The feeding of the 5,000 had taken place. The dead were being raised. Demon-possessed were being set free. The lame were walking. The blind was seeing. The hillsides were packed to hear his teaching. I think it was Jesus' mania was going on. Jesus' mania was taking place at that moment. Mania being excessive excitement, almost craze. That was what was going on at this time. Sometimes when things are crazy, when things are just going like mad, it's hard to keep focused. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of all of what was, here is Jesus being resolute, determined, steadfast, and focused on the mission in front of him. What causes us to lose our mission focus? Because sometimes that can happen. I know that's happened to me. I'm sure that it's happened to you. A couple of thoughts, and then I want to show you a video clip. I think the first thing that takes place that causes us to fall out of focus is when we begin to prioritize the troubles and the concerns of the day. Seems to be our theme for the morning. When we begin to prioritize the troubles and the concerns of the day. How many of you have had the wonderful privilege of watching the series, The Chosen? Have you enjoyed that series? It has moved Christine and I so deeply. Now, it's based on Scripture, 
but there's some latitudes that take place in terms of character development. But that character development is based on what we read in Scripture. And I want to show you a clip this morning, and I'm hoping, do we control the lights, that the, these house lights, are they controlled from the back, or are they controlled from over here? Over, yeah, could, because this clip that I'm going to show you takes place at nighttime, and it's around a fire, we need to kind of lower the lights here. Is that all right? And so... Um, let me just set the scene, though, first. Um, it's, it's, based on, uh, it's based on a scene from, um, from chapter 4 and verse 40 of Luke, where it says this. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. And no matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. And in, and in this particular episode, it was going all day. Jesus hadn't been seen all day because there was a little tent that was set up. And he was inside the tent. And all they showed was the tent and the lineup, which was exhausting. It went all day long. This lineup never stopped. It was like Christmas time at Costco. The lineups just were endless. And it goes into the evening. And occasionally the disciples are checking in on him. And they said, man, maybe we should, like, you know, pull him out of there or whatever. And then they're like, he's not going to stop. This is like, he's, he's doing his thing. He's focused. He's determined. And so here's the scene. The disciples are around a campfire. And they're beginning to talk about, they're talking about the goodness of God, but they're also starting to express some of their frustration with the Roman occupation. With, shall I say in modern terms, with what might be deemed as government overreach. Keep in mind that Roman influence in that day was great. Jesus was crucified, a Roman crucifixion. Israel the nation was under Roman rule. Who did they pay taxes to? To Caesar. Their belief was that the Messiah would set them free, set them free from tyranny, but there was still all of this pressure. Matthew, the tax collector, is new to the group. Still a bit unresolved because Matthew was the one who was taking taxes from the disciples and from their families and otherwise, and there's still this tension. And that's where this scene picks up, where this kind of comes to a head and the situation unravels. So you can hit the lights here. Let's watch the scene together, and then I want to comment on it. What about you? What do you mean? You turn that up a little bit. Difficult for you all this time? The occupation, following Jewish law. My life has not been easy. Oh, oh, it hasn't. What was more painful for you? Escaping Roman persecution by working for them or escaping your guilt with all the money? And now you're catching up on Torah and wanting to follow the law. Why now all of a sudden? Why not all the other times you had the chance? Simon? No, no, John, I want to know. Uh, Mary had horrible trauma. She didn't choose all that happened to her. What's your excuse? What do you want me to say? I, I don't know what you want from me. An apology. What? Simon's not wrong. He could be more delicate about it, but 
You did choose to work for them. And you made my life even harder than it already was. And you haven't apologized. No, no, don't say it. I don't want you to apologize. It doesn't matter. What would him say sorry do? I won't forgive it anyway. What keeps putting you in authority? Who are you to forgive or not to forgive? What, you're on his side? No, of course not, but you've had your problems too. What about apologizing for what you almost did to us with their omens? I didn't go through with it. I was trying to save my family's life and I love you, John, but that's not something you have to worry about when Zeb and Salome are looking out for you. But you put me in a desperate position where I did things I would never have done otherwise. And I've repented for them and John and James, I am sorry, but I didn't go through with it. What is your excuse? I was a successful businessman and yet I was always behind. He wasn't your tax collector. You quit defending him, I want an answer. Hey, you're new. Do you even know what it's like to be Jewish? To suffer for centuries and centuries because of it, but to still commit to it? To protect our heritage even though it never stops being painful because the one comfort we have is to know that we're doing it together. That we're all suffering together, but if, if we just wait a little longer, if we hold tight just a little more, we'll have rescue because we're chosen, all of us. And you betrayed that, and you spit on it! I can't forgive it. I'll never forgive it. All right. You said what you needed to say. Sit down, Simon. You sit down first.
I'm so tired. sing that song, uh, when you walk into the room, everything changes. And it's like uh, Jesus walks into this moment and everything changes. You see, the, the emotionally charged issues of that day, very real, very human, very raw, but off mission, off mission contrasted with the Lord, exhausted, but steadfast in his mission. His mission, Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Acts 10 and 38, Jesus went around doing good, healing all of those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. He was steadfast in his mission. As has been said this morning, I'll say it again. We can buckle up a little bit. Whether it be masks, whether it be elections, whether it be pipelines, whether it be passports, whether it be housing affordability, the emotionally charged issues of our day are very real, they're very human, and they're very raw. But when we become obsessed with them, we are off mission. We're off mission. Instead of seeking to save that which was lost, we can become consumed with social media debates and fighting online. Instead of going around doing good, bringing healing, laying down our lives to the point of exhaustion for the sake of the lost and broken, instead, we can get into the place where we make demands or point out what's wrong or how we're offended or silo ourselves off around those who think the same as we do. And the result is, is that the troubles and the concerns of our day knock us off our mission. You see, three hours serving at Serve Saturday, 15 minutes to empathize and bring comfort to a colleague at work, inviting your neighbor over to sit on your deck and have an evening meal, all of that will far outshine anything we could ever post online or whether or not we're obligated to wear a mask or not or otherwise or to the grocery store. Instead of being focused on masks or vaccines, let's be steadfast, determined, and resolute in engaging the person behind the mask. Whether or not they've been vaccinated or not. The world, the people in our inner circles and the outer circles, the world that we're living in today is agonizing, is stressed, and is vulnerable. And now is the time more than any other time, probably in the history that we're ever going to live, 
Now is the time for us to be the church and to stay resolute, stay determined, and to stay focused on our mission, on the calling that God has placed on your life. Now is the time. Now is the time. There's a phrase that has worked its way into our vocabulary over the last, I'm going to say over the last five or ten years. I don't remember it being a part of our vocabulary before. Maybe you do. I don't. I want to be careful with this and explain it first. It's called, are you are familiar with this phrase, first world problems? We've heard that phrase. I think it's about five or ten years old. First world problems. Here's a first world problem for me. Christine and I moved into this new house three and a half years ago. And during that time, we'd always wanted to expand our deck. Our deck was small. It was kind of rotting. I agonized over this deck. I don't know why. I just started to obsess about it. I was spending hours online reading about, you know, is it vinyl? Is it hardy plank? Is it this? Is it, how thick should, you know, glass be? Or should you just go with the pickets and what? And it was going on. And then the cost. And then about the quotes. And it's phoning this guy and phoning that guy. And I'm like, this is taking a lot of my time. My emotional time. And I'm like, this is a first world problem. And yet, important to God because the scriptures say, Matthew 6 and 26, look at the birds in the sky. They don't plant or harvest. They don't even store grain in barns. Yet your Father in heaven takes care of them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Peter writes this, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So I know that God cares about that deck because I was caring about that deck. And yet at the same time, I also recognized that his perspective about that deck may have been different than my perspective when I was in the swirl of trying to figure out that deck. Right now, I think that there's many uh, students and probably some teachers that might be, uh, there's probably a rise in anxiety right now about going back to school next week. What teacher am I going to have? Will my friend be in my classroom? What about if you're moving on from elementary school to middle school? These are all real things, and God cares about those things. And yet at the same time, we know that in the big scope of things, that 13-year-old girl, it's very real right now that she's contemplating going on to class and what that's going to look like. That's real. That's very real for her and very raw. But probably different than the 13-year-old girl who's in Afghanistan today. Who isn't going to school next week. And there may be a knock on the door because somebody's announcing that she's getting married. It's gaining a perspective. If you're a parent of a preschool, my guess, a preschooler, my guess is, is that you face some significant drama this week. Because there's drama in lives. And it's very real. And for that preschooler, it's very raw. And in that moment, it's very important. But as a parent, you have a different perspective as to what that might be. <laughs> Lady that I follow on Twitter said this, getting children to clean their rooms is a special kind of torture dot, 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 for parents. <laughs> <laughs> P- 
Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. And in chapter 15, I'm going to read it in a moment, he talked about this phrase. He talked to the Corinthians and he said, I want to highlight to you what is of first importance. But first, let me just say this. 16 chapters in the book of Corinthians, and the first 11 chapters, Paul is dealing with what has been deemed as the carnalities. Here's the topics that he covers for the Corinthian church in the first 11 chapters. Sex, sexual sin, divisions, arguing with one another, suing one another, idolatry occurring in the church. That's the first 11 chapters, dealing with those issues. Chapter 12, it switches. Instead, from the carnalities, from chapters 12 to 16, he moves from the carnalities to the spiritualities. Here's what he starts talking about. The spiritual gifts. Unity in the body of Christ. Love manifested itself. Prophecy. Worship. What happens when we die? Eternity. And then he sums it up in chapter 15. For what I have received, I give to you that which is of first importance. And what is of first importance? He lays it out. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. What is of first importance? The gospel is of first importance. The gospel message that has transformed the lives of many in this building, in this room, and has transformed the lives of countless hundreds of millions and billions throughout history. The gospel message is of first importance. Do we want to focus on the carnalities or the spiritualities? Bill Johnson, who's often quoted in this place, one of my favorite quotes from him, I've often said it, I'll say it again, it's so timely, it doesn't matter to the devil what side of an argument you're on, as long as you use carnal means to tear down the other person. Right into the carnality. It doesn't matter to the devil what side of an argument you are on, as long as you use carnal means to tear down the other person. We have a choice, divisions, arguments, or loving one another. How we're being wronged or offended, or how we can step into a world and do what is good. So Jesus was so focused. He was so determined. He was steadfast, and I love that phrase. He set his face on the mission. What is your mission today? What is it that you need to be steadfast on? What is it that you need to set your face to and follow that thing that's ahead? Skip through to verse 62. It's about staying straight. Jesus says this at the end of the passage that I read. Jesus said to him, and this is again a more modern language I'm reading it from, anyone who starts to plow and then keeps looking back is no use in the kingdom of God. No plowman ever plowed a straight furrow looking back over his shoulder. You see, there are some who, whose hearts are in the past. They walk forever looking backwards and thinking wistfully of the good old days. It's called the glory of yesterday, looking back. Uh, I've talked about nostalgia before. 
you know, and, and this would be a time I think where a lot of us are saying, man, can't we just go back to the way that it was? I think it's good as, as we think about looking back, as we think about maybe nostalgia, but looking back, it's really good. And it's, the Old Testament is filled with places where we remind ourselves of the past. We remind ourselves and stir ourselves up about all the good things that have taken place in our lives. And it becomes part of what we call our testimony. And there, it, it's really great to get into a place where we're just, you know, if we're not in a good place, to say, okay, wait a minute. God, how have you proved yourself to be faithful to me and to my family and to my situation in the past? And you build a history there, reminding yourself of the past. Hey, that's great. Reminiscing about the past? Yeah. That's good. We, we can reminisce about the past and get together and have an evening. Or how many people here have ever been to a grad reunion? Your 10-year grad reunion, maybe your 25-year grad reunion. Picture this scene. You go to your grad reunion. It's a weekend event, and, and everybody's having just a great time. And you're sharing stories, and you're laughing your face off. You're laughing and crying. And it's like, man, you just have the greatest time in the world. And you come through to the Sunday afternoon, and the, and the, and the person and the, and the committee that's organized it said, hey, you know, we had such a great time. And everybody in the room is like, woo, yeah, that was so awesome. I love this. It was great. And then they say, hey, let's come back next weekend to do it again. And it was like, yeah, that would be great. And they're like, no, we're serious. We're, we're going to book this place again. And we're, we're gonna, we want you to all come back again. And we're going to do the same thing next weekend. And everybody would be looking at each other like, oh, is he serious? It's like, man, it's like, I had such a great time. And if I never saw you guys again for 10 years, it wouldn't bother me a bit. <laughs> it's great to reminisce for a season, perhaps, about the past. But we just can't go on and on and on and reminisce. Because that leads into longing for the past. And that is dangerous ground when we are looking back. You see, nothing keeps a church or a Christian from fulfilling their mission more than longing for the days of old and wishing that things could go back to the way that they were. One of the great pleasures that I have, um, uh, have had in the last uh, few years is I have discovered cycling. And uh, I, I cycle with a group of men. We call ourselves the Ogres. That's our name. Old guys riding every Saturday, ogres. There's half a dozen of us. And um, I think I might be, if I'm not the youngest in the group at 55, it's kind of 55 and then into our 60s. And I'm with this group of guys. And one of the things that I have learned is that we do something called line riding. And that is, is that four, five, and six riders all together, and we just ride in a line and uh, you can ride really fast when you're riding in a line. But here's what's really important, and this is absolutely critical, because your tires are only a matter of 12 to 24 inches apart. And so when, you're ride, uh, when you are line riding, and you can go faster, 30, 35, 40 kilometers an hour when you're line riding. And so you're flying down a straight stretch, and the 
that you have one focus when you're line riding, and that is the focus on the tire in front of you. Because if you, if you take your hand off the plow, if you take your hands off the handlebar and kind of turn around and try to start talking to the guys behind you, and your tire clips the tire of the back tire, your front tire clips the back tire of the guy in front of you, guess who's going down? You and everybody behind you. So there's this great focus on just what's in front of you. And I think it's possible for us to stay focused on what we're doing, but not looking way ahead and not looking back, but just staying focused on what's in front of us. And I think that's an important principle for us because right now we're just living again in a time where it's very easy to look back and to try to figure out, like, what's ahead. But the reality is, is that we need to stay focused on what's in front of us. The other great thing is that uh, line riding and uh, my, my ogre buddies is that, you know, drawing a parallel, is that it's possible to do mission on your own. I go for a ride every week on my own. But I sure love riding with the group um, because, you know, when I'm riding, when you're riding with the group, it's more social, there's more connect, and it's more efficient. And Christian mission is always looking about what's ahead rather than looking what is behind. I was uh, just somewhat tired yesterday on this part of the ride. We went for a long ride yesterday because we're old guys that ride every Saturday. And um, my friend Martin, sensing my tiredness, he was just slightly behind me. He pulls up beside me, and as he's just passing by, because he's sensing this, and I'm just slowing down a little bit, he says this. He says, hey, Jason, let me give you a wheel. Let me give you a wheel. And he just rolled right on in front of me, and immediately, like 20% more efficient, caught my breath, and away we go. In mission, it's great to be able to walk with people who say, let me give you a wheel. Last thought here, and then we'll um, time to stop. And that is um, about this being focused on mission, being steadfast in mission. It's really important to be able to stay in your lane. Um, what, I, what do I mean by that? Um, the ministry that I'm, that, that I'm involved in, the organization that I'm involved with, uh, we provide chaplaincy to elected officials and there's all sorts of other things that come at us all the time. Opportunities this way, or you should you know, get involved in this and get involved in that. And frequently in our staff meetings, when we're trying to determine what we should and shouldn't be involved with, it just comes down to the simple question, is what we're being asked to do, is that in our lane? Is this what we're called to do? And when, when a person is looking at mission, what you are to be engaged in, that is your lane. And it's important for you to run your lane and not to run in anybody else's lane. Because when we try to run in lanes, uh, somebody else's lane, the same thing will happen to you that happened to Canada's Olympic team in 2012, the 4 by 100 relay race in London, Canada, of course, Jamaica, led by Usain Bolt. They run it by a mile. U.S. in second place. So the battle's for third, and Canada gets third. We got third place. They're celebrating, running the track. They got the flags around their shoulders. Guess what? Disqualified. Why? Because on the turn, someone ran outside of their lane. 
And what happens is, is that when we run outside of the lane, outside of the mission that we've been called to, oftentimes we'll self-disqualify. And the result is not good. I want to close with this thought here. Um, and that is, I, I, th this whole idea about, about staying focused and keeping your hand on the plow, I think that's a word for us. <laughs> That's a word for the church today. We need to keep our hand on the plow and hold on. And there was a, it's, a, it's an African-American gospel song. The phrase that they use is this, a Negro spiritual. And as I was preparing for this, uh, uh, this uh, message, I, I was, you know, typing some things in, and, and I came across this song about keeping your hand on the plow sung as a, as, a, as a spiritual. And so just in, in conclusion, I'm going to pass it off to Caleb here. But it's a two-minute song. Go ahead, uh, Elijah. And I just want you to listen to that song and think about your mission, your steadfastness, and keeping your hand on the ball. Turn that up. to me, I am the way. Keep your hand on the plow, hold on. When my way get dark as night, know the Lord will be my light. Keep your hand on the plow, hold on. Oh Lord, oh Lord, keep your hand on the plow. Thank you for listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.